All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Welcome to Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us for the official podcast of HockeyFights.com. If you want to get punched in the face action, go to HockeyFights.com. It's always a good time. Today, we're happy to have Montreal insider Eric Ingles. How's it going, Eric? It's going great, Donnie. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. You were just reminiscing before we came on air about how you reported me during my last game in the NHL. And how sweet that was and how you actually, I was your favorite player growing up. So it's very nice. One of those things is untrue. <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm all, all about accuracy and that is fully accurate. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for coming on. How exciting is it for you following the Montreal Canadiens to actually have something to write about at this time of the season? Because usually you guys are long gone talking about how we're going to rebuild and Bergevin has to go. Who's going to be our coach? Carey Price has an astronomical contract. It's an albatross. How fun is it for you to just have something to talk about? You know what? It, it really has been fun. And going back to last year's bubble and, and obviously, you know, as reporters, we're, we're not cheering for wins or losses. We're cheering for the best stories possible, but it's hard to find a better one that the Canadians could author than what they put together this spring uh, or this summer, I should say. And it's really you know, obviously as a reporter, your work becomes that much more highlighted as you move through the playoffs. And uh, it's, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, you know, I'm 38 years old. I've been in this business for 14 years. I've been with Sportsnet for six. And if this run came at an earlier time, you know, I'd be proud of the work that I'm doing and was doing a good job back then. But just it's coinciding at a time where I feel very much in the prime of my career and, and really enjoying just doing the work and, and it's, it's been hard. It's been challenging, not a lot of sleep uh, throughout this entire season and especially this playoff run, but this is what we do the job for. And it's, you know, I've avoided working for 14 years and uh, hopefully can continue to do the same. It's funny. You say you're in your prime at 38 where I'm 38 and I feel like I'm a washed up bum and I'm just useless in my whole entire existence. So, you know, different perspective, different strokes for different folks. So, you mentioned the Montreal Canadiens from last year to the bubble to this year. What do you think their biggest off-season addition or non-addition or trade was? You know, they obviously go out, they get Josh Anderson, they go out, they get Tyler Toffoli, they bring in a couple other pieces with Eric Stahl. What was the difference from last year to this year for this team? 
You, you know what is really interesting is what you just said, because you threw in non-addition in there. And it's funny because, you know, the Canadians threw more money at Wayne Simmons than the Toronto Maple Leafs did. And, you know, Wayne, with the opportunity to go home to Toronto, took that opportunity and signed for $1.5 million. And if the Canadians end up signing that contract or one worth a little bit more, they don't get Corey Perry. And I don't know if this run is happening without Corey Perry. I mean, I would say definitively this run isn't happening without Corey Perry. You look at the impact he's had, the way winning has seemingly followed him around. It's not an accident. It's not, it's not an accident that Corey Perry has been a winner everywhere he's gone. You look at what goes into his game. And I love what he said to uh, a couple of times throughout the year where people talk about the speed of the game increasing dramatically over time, uh, him obviously not getting any faster when he wasn't fleet of foot to begin with. But he likes to say that, you know, playoff hockey hasn't changed. It's still the same game. It's still the same things that you need to do to win. And he is willing to do all the right things to get it done. So that to me is a huge non-addition slash addition to this team. Tyler Toffoli had 28 goals this season and has been crushing it in the playoffs. Uh, Cole Caulfield coming in late in the year. Look at the skill, the talent, but also the will and the drive and the hockey sense. This kid, if this is what he's doing right now, just picture what they'll be doing in a couple of years from now. Uh, and it's so valuable that he gets to be on a bench with Eric Stahl and Corey Perry and Shea Weber and all these guys that, John, you know a good amount about. You know, to, to have your young players like him and Suzuki and Kakamiami coming up with those guys on the bench you know, this is going to set the foundation for this team for years to come. And we'll have more playoff runs to talk about and less talking about how the GM should be fired and Carey Price's contract is an albatross and who's going to be the coach and this and that. I still think Bergevin should be fired, but that's a whole other show. Um, what are, are you around the team at all? Do you get access to them other than just like a Zoom call after a game? How does that work with the scrum? You, you obviously aren't in the locker room. What, what is that like now? How do you get access to these guys? You know, and it's, it's incredibly challenging now. Um, I built a, extremely good relationships with most of the players on the Canadians uh, going back a number of years and obviously depended on locker room access to build those relationships and to gain trust and earn trust. Uh, it goes both ways. It's a two-way street and to be accountable to the players. You know, it's funny. Right now we're in a time where we only get to do things through Zoom and often people say, you know, what's the point in even having these press conferences and this and that? And the guys don't say this and they say that. I'm a big believer that as a writer and someone who's paid to at times be critical of players or their performances, whatever it is, they deserve an opportunity to speak for themselves. They, it should not just be my words attached to what they do. Uh, and that's what kind of gets lost in that whole debate is, you know, this is an opportunity for them to, to be accountable for them, for themselves, but also to explain themselves, to be taken into proper context when you're doing things where you're, you've got to be critical or whatever it is. So, and, and, you know, on my end of it, the way I've kind of built trust with players is in being there every day and being accountable. And when I do, you know, put someone's um, performance under the spotlight, whether it's good or bad, I'm there to say, Hey, you know, I know what I said, you may know too. And if you have anything to say to me, we'll, we'll work it out. And that's been the case for the years. And that's somewhat a missing dynamic from this year. And it's, it's hard to deal with as a reporter because we need that access but on the other side of it. Like if I was walking into the room on a daily basis, I could go to Corey Perry and unearth this elaborate 
pregame ritual that he's had for a dozen years and be able to tell a rich story about him or just in conversation with guys like Eric Stahl, who's been away from his family all season. I can't get a rich story out of that just asking him one question through a Zoom. And it's funny, you, I'll just wrap this point up by saying everyone saw Adrian Dater's question to Nate McKinnon in that Zoom situation. Yeah. And John, you've been in the room and you know what it's like when you're aside with a reporter and he says something to you that's of that nature and it might actually generate an entire conversation. But in that Zoom setting, it was really the wrong situation to try and get a question like that in. It wasn't going to go anywhere with the cameras rolling and everybody watching. But I, I, I do want to say that if Adrian was in the room with Nate McKinnon and started the conversation that way, Nate might have given him the same answer, but it might have generated a discussion that would have gotten him to what he wanted to talk about, which is that he feels that the avalanche overthought their whole situation and didn't get to it. So it's just kind of bringing you into the reporter player dynamic that happens in the room. that's non-existent through zoom. And it's tough because I would say half, if not more of a reporter's kind of reconnaissance is just the mood of the room. What's going on. You hear conversations. You just, you get a feel as soon as you walk in that locker room, it's okay. The boys are happy. You know, it's, it's a more serious mood and it's hard to get that in a zoom, like your job must be so much harder. I don't, I don't know if you have anything more to say on it, but it just kind of struck me. It's like, gosh, it must be difficult to try to get any kind of feel with how the team's doing. Are they, you know, in a slump, this and that it's, it must it be is. a tough, you, tough year. It is. And you have to, you have to kind of reverse it. So look at it from the players and the coaches perspective. So those guys know me, right. Yeah. I've been there for 14 years. I've been around most of them, except for the guys that have, come in anew but they've been told by the other players we all have reputations among the players i'm sure they have nicknames for all of us whatever it is mm -hmm. and that's fine it's all part of the game but from their end if they start hearing questions in a zoom conference from a reporter they've never heard of or don't necessarily associate the name with the face they're not sure where it's coming from they're skeptical to begin with you're not getting it, it, it's such a complicated dynamic and yeah you know i think People will really come to appreciate what we do as a media in general um, in terms of humanizing the athletes when we are permitted to be back in the locker room and have that kind of access. We can have those informal conversations because I'll tell you, I've noticed myself this year with the way the fans talk about the players in general, there has never been more of a need for people like myself to humanize the athletes, to get into what they're actually dealing with on a daily basis because people talk about them in, in really a disgusting way. A, a lot of the time, just picking apart their performance and talking about their character and imputing their character as though they're, you know, useless or this or that. And like, maybe if they read a story about how Eric Stahl spent the entire year away from his three children, just for an opportunity, spent two quarantines between Buffalo and Montreal and dealt with two COVID situations and dealt with underperforming and, wondering what he was doing it all for only to come to the playoffs and play great. You know, I'd love to be able to tell that story in depth and it, it can't happen without me being around him and having that conversation. So I'm just, I, I think it's more important than ever because I, I it, it sickens me to a degree what people are willing to say about people that they know nothing about. And I feel like it's part of my job to help tell that story. So I should stop saying that, Mark Stone is an awful human being because of his terrible hair. Is that, are you telling me that? Oh, yes. I've been doing it all wrong. Stupid haircut but makes him I think a bad people, person. I think people, I think people know that you're a, 
approaching it with some uh, some humor involved. No, total sincerity. Don't <laughs> like him because of his hair. Sideshow Bob. But anyways, so let's get back to the Canadians. You mentioned how how um, big of an impact Toffoli has, Cole Caulfield, Corey Perry. The player that I think has gone under the radar, maybe for a good reason for him, is Brendan Gallagher. You know, he's been playing a really big defensive role, but for a player making that kind of money, he's had some very good offensive seasons. He's got four points in the playoffs. And when you look at all the other teams, their stars are producing, especially the Tampa Bay Lightning. Their stars are doing what stars are supposed to do. What is the reason why he's not producing? Is there any talk in the Montreal Canadiens organization? They just signed him to that new contract. What's the reason for this? Is it, you know, he's not getting opportunities. It just, it strikes me when I look at all the, all the stats for every team, it's like, okay, Montreal, their top scores are Tavoli, Suzuki, Joel Armia, Corey Perry. Like those are fourth line guys. Your first line guy should be up there. And then you got Gallagher and Deneau, who doesn't even have a goal in this playoffs. Is that a cause for concern or have they just embraced that shutdown line mode? Yeah, I think it's beat. They've embraced the shutdown line mode. And you know what? You can comb through the stats, but Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, and whether it's been Arturi Lekkinen for most of it and Jake Evans before him, those guys have gone up against Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Mark Shifley for at least one game, uh, and, and the best players on Winnipeg and the best players on Vegas. And guess how many times they've been scored on at even strength? 17. Six. Zero. Oh, he did the okay sign. I thought it was a six. Yeah. No, it was a zero. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Brendan Gallagher is paid to score goals. The new contract kicks in next year. The one he's on right now only pays him 3.75, which still makes him probably one of the best value players in the NHL. And he missed the last four, uh, six weeks of the season with a broken thumb. Now, I'm not making excuses for him. I thought if you watched game four, he had their best chances to, to extend the game outside of the one that Caulfield got and the one that Armia and, and Stahl missed on in the, in the first period. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of a typical Brennan Gallagher performance where he's tipping pucks and he's all over the net. And I would suggest that if that continues and if that line plays the way it did in game four, which they dominated 75% of the shot attempts, they're going to break through. But they, they, each line on this team has been given a specific role if – Deno, Gallagher, and Lekkanen are not playing that defensive role, then more of the responsibility falls on Suzuki, Tafoli, and Caulfield, which they're not as attuned to do. So you've got that going. And the, the, the two lines after that, Cockney, Emmy, Anderson, and Byron, they really stepped up after game one. The last three games, they've been great. And the fourth line has been not, a line, you can, not, not a line that you can call a fourth line. I mean, they're just... They just cycle you to death and they create a ton of opportunities and you just get the feeling that they're going to make a difference every time they play. So I agree with you that if the Deneau line can, can just chip in a couple more goals and you think they're coming off Gallagher's stick, it would make a huge difference for the Canadians. So how are they so successful? Points aside, I more than anybody know there's more to hockey than just goals and assists. How are they doing what they do? Because you mentioned they shut down Matthews, they shut down Iko, they shut down Shifley for that one game. Now they're doing it to Sonnen and Pacioretty. Is it systems? Is it DeHarnay giving them, you know, putting them in the good spot? Or is it just they're just lights out defensively? Because Gallagher, he's been known as a responsible player throughout his career. But to be a shutdown guy, this is something new for him. What, like, what's going on with them? Yeah, I think what it comes down to is that hockey is the ultimate team sport. 
And unlike basketball, where you bet the favorite, unlike baseball, where you bet the pitcher, in hockey, you shouldn't bet because you, you just you never know how it's going to go. There's so many different people that influence the outcome. And I just think what the Canadians have managed to do in this playoff run is play together as a team. And they're set up in that old school Jacques Martin, Ken Hitchcock brand of hockey of playing five guys in the picture at all times and creating that type of puck support while, while the players don't have the puck to create the options coming up the ice, coming through the neutral zone, coming into the offensive zone. Their structure in the neutral zone is very difficult to get past with the back pressure that allows huge defensemen like Shea Weber and Ben Sherrod and Joel Edmondson and Jeff Petrie to step up at the line. And, um, you know, it's just commitment from everyone. And you look up and down their roster, and this is what was really underestimated about them going into the playoffs because of the way they played the season. But it's funny, for, for as much as they were underestimated on paper against Toronto or even Winnipeg and Vegas thereafter, you should have been looking on paper and saying, hmm, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, Shea Weber, Ben Chirot, Joel Edmondson, Tyler Tafoli, Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson, like go Paul Byron, go up and down the list, Arturi Lekkinen. These are guys that are willing to sacrifice. They're willing to play and do all the little things you need to do to win. And the fact that they're doing it all together as a team has generated some really perfect hockey throughout this run that they've been on. It's been great to watch. They deserve to be where they are. They deserve to be with these three other teams that are there. And they've proven it on, on every night, basically, since game five of the Toronto series. And uh, they deserve full credit. And I think it really is about the team and less so about the individuals. Uh, although, obviously, everyone will point to Carey Price. But I would suggest that in the 14 years that Carey Price has been there, we were rookies the same year. I can't think of too many additions of the team that were that were more equipped to support him than this one. You, you just go down that roster. The one thing I listen, I'll be honest. I have picked against Montreal every single series. So I, I've lost. You're money. not alone. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've gone all in. I thought Vegas was going to use him as a tune-up round for, you know, the finals. You mentioned the roster. It's like, they're, they're super balanced. You look at a team like the Islanders are super balanced. You look at a team like Vegas are super balanced. Is this a new, like, theme going forward in the NHL where you don't need a superstar to succeed or is it still a superstar driven driven league where you look at the Tampa Bay lightning and their stars are lighting it up. Not no pun intended with Kucherov and Stamkos and point point and Kalorn and Hedman. Like those are their go-to guys. What do you think the trend is moving forward? Because the salary cap is going to be a real thing. Teams are going to be handcuffed for money when player movement and, and stuff. Is this the norm going forward or is Tampa going to win the cup? And it's going to be like, okay, copycat league. We need to get superstars. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question to answer. And I know why you're asking it because I think a lot of people are asking that question right now. And I would suggest that I don't know how much how much it's really ever changed. And even on the superstar-laden teams, those guys don't shine through and they don't win without the deck. Um, Tampa Bay last year doesn't win the Stanley Cup without Yanni Gord, yep. Coleman, and... and uh, Barclay Goudreau. And Barclay Goudreau. Uh, the Dallas Stars lost it because they lost their entire third line. The injury, you know, Radic Faxa was <laughs> a key piece for them. And if you don't have that depth, then the superstars are easier to shut down. And look at Toronto against Montreal. The Canadians did a masterful job against Matthews and Marner. Uh, William Nylander was able to put a hurt on them from the second line, but it was all the all the things William Nylander wasn't willing to do was the reason like Toronto lost that series. 
you look up and down their lineup, you can point to a lot of factors and how they come out unblemished. And then you've got a guy like Gallagher giving post-game comments with his face nicked up in every single direction. Um, there's something if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs player that you can learn from watching what the four teams left have been willing to do to get there. But the, the depth will always be critical uh, and, and having balance will always be critical when the game is played at this speed. And there's so, it's so demand, like, you know, this as well as anyone, it is so demanding to go through an entire season, whether it's 56 games in a condensed one or 82 games, and then run through the playoffs, you know, at full steam playing every second night and traveling in, in this year, you know, this series, the Canadians in Vegas are traveling five hours between both cities uh, through time zones in the semifinal. So it's just you need that depth and that balance, especially in the salary cap structure. Um, you need superstars because they can push you over the edge. I think we look at the teams that are left. I don't. I, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in suggesting that Tampa is the favorite, and they were the team that I picked at the beginning of the year to repeat as Stanley Cup champions, and the team that I picked at the beginning of the playoffs. And nothing they've shown me since would have me alter or deviate from that course. But you know, to have that, it, it doesn't work without the debt. Agreed. Totally agree. Now you touched on Carey Price that there he's arguably Montreal's MVP to this point in the playoffs. What were you thinking when you caught wind that the Vegas Golden Knights were going to move away from Marc-Andre Fleury, who himself arguably has been their MVP to this point. He's played so good. The one game they put Lanner in, he just gets shelled, gives up seven, not even close to being a decent goalie in that game. What are you thinking when you're a Montreal fan, which you are, are you just licking your chops like, oh, these guys are making a huge mistake because Fleury is arguably one of the best goalies of all time, top three at least. Do you think that was a mistake? Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but in the in that moment, are you just licking your chops as a Montreal fan? Well, I'm a Montreal reporter, but for Montreal fans, I'm sure they were probably licking their chops. For me personally, I thought it was going to be a huge mistake. Like, like I, I thought that it was a huge risk I thought there was more risk involved than there was potential reward uh, to go to a guy who's only played one game in 40 days, uh, go to a guy who that one in that one game allowed seven goals uh, when they were looking to him to steady the ship coming off an emotional seventh game and two nights later playing game one against a team that was well rested. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was extremely ballsy and I'll give Pete DeBoer credit, you know, he made his decision, made a firm one and the team responded. And I thought Leonard was going to have to play one of the best games, if not the best game of his life to win it, because I knew that the Canadians were going to play a lot better than they did in game three. So credit to Robin Leonard, credit to Pete DeBoer. And I don't see how the board goes away from him. Now he's Agreed. got to start him again in game five. And the real question is if it doesn't go well, where's he going to be at with flurry? Um, it's 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 complicated. He he made a he made a decision that looked really risky in the moment, but also could have long lasting effects on the series. So we'll see what happens. But I, I thought it was crazy of him to do, and sometimes crazy works out pretty well. And even long lasting in their franchise, there's no way a you can come back to Flair in this series unless Leonard just gets shelled in Game Five. But then even going into the off season, like he. I think you got to walk away from Flurry now. Let him go to Seattle. Hopefully they can, you know, 
let him go to Seattle and get out from under his contract. But it's just, it is a crazy move because a goaltender is such a solidifying position. And it, how lucky are the Montreal Canadiens? I know we beg on Carey Price on this show a little bit about his salary. He has solidified himself as the best goal in the league. Well, in that conversation, how just reassuring is it as a Canadian player to have Carey Price? Because he's played unbelievable. Other than him, him being great, who who else has made that big of an impact? He's your MVP. How nice is it to have him just kind of between the pipes? You can lock him in. Nobody's coming in to supplant them. It's funny. Like, first of all, he's unquestionably been their best player. That's not even up for debate. He wins the con smite if they win the cup. And to be a player in front of him, you're just saying to yourself, no matter what we do, no matter what happens, he's got us. And I think the opposition coming the other way is thinking too. Like it's, you could see the shots plays becoming trying to be perfect to, to try to beat him. And I don't know of another goaltender. I think there's some great goalies in this league. I don't know if there's another goaltender that has the intimidation factor that Price does. Yeah, he's got that reputation. He just, I, I'm laughing because like I, I did something yesterday. I was doing a radio show at one of our networks and. I was just, I was just laughing. They were asking me like, is Carey Price under, under, you know, more pressure now? Is he putting more pressure on himself? I'm like, if if this is his version of putting more pressure on himself, then he should do it all the time. Like this guy is playing lights out. He's, I've said this for years, you know, but I'm, I'm in a beneficial position of watching him practice every single day for 14 years. He's the best goalie I've ever seen. He's not just the best goalie in the NHL uh, or playing like the best goalie in the playoffs, he will never have the numbers that equate to Patrick Waugh or what Ken Dryden did over his, you know, 10 year, eight year career, whatever it was like to me, I've never seen a goaltender do and, and be what he is. Just cerebral, uh, his anticipation level, his trust in his own abilities to not rely on that anticipation level and just be, patient, his intimidation level, and just his natural ability and his mental confidence, you know, despite what we've seen from him over the last few regular seasons, when the games matter most, he shows up and is the best player on the ice. And it's just, I've never seen a goaltender that has the complete package that he does. And that's with respect to Dominic Hasek, who I think is the the greatest competitor ever at the position. Um, I just think you, you combine all the different things about price. And I, I just, I've never seen anyone like that. Yeah, there was a play last game where, I gosh, I can't remember who it was on Vegas. It was a partial breakaway. Before the puck even left that guy's stick, Price had already moved over. And it hit the puck hit him right in the chest. And the whole other side of the net was wide open. So he knew where the guy was going before the puck left his stick. Like, that's the epitome of confidence in your game, where you know the, where the guy's going to shoot before he, he lets it go. But So Price is the guy. A couple more questions before we let you go. Is Montreal happy with the split, even though in game four, they were the better team by far. They, they deserved a better fate. The refereeing has been suspect at best. I think Montreal has gotten the worst end of that. Anybody can agree with you. Are they happy with the split or do they think they deserve to be up three to one? No, I think they should be happy with the split because game three, they were, they didn't deserve to win. You know, Vegas was tremendous. And if not for Carey Price, the, the Canadians would have had no chance. And I think game four was really a reversal of that situation. The Canadians kept Vegas to zero shots from the high danger zone uh, or chances from the high danger zone through regulation. And the, the one 
goal that they end up allowing at the end of it uh, in overtime from Roy came from the closest to Carey Price as any shot got to him in that game. So, you know, I think this this series deserves to be even. You look at game one, it belonged to Vegas. You look at game two, it definitely belonged to Montreal. And then they split games that each other deserved. Like, it was really strange. But the fact that it's a best-of-three series here moving forward, I, I think a ton of pressure is on Vegas given the odds. Uh, and I think Montreal is playing loose and free and comfortable. And I think they've created that seed of doubt. And that was their ambition prior to this, the series. They knew that it was going to be a long one. This is a Vegas team that just knocked off Colorado in less than seven games, one of the best teams we've seen in over a decade in the NHL. And I just think the Canadians have to feel really good with where they're at here. They'll feel even better if they get a win in game five. But you got to expect the series is going to go the distance when you see the way it's been played. Other than Carey Price, who's the guy that the Canadians need to step up and take, take control of this series? Yeah, I think, I think you could look at Gallagher. You looked at him earlier. You know, he was a guy that has consistently scored 30 goals the last couple of seasons and was probably on pace uh, to do the same in this uh, uh, bridge season where he wouldn't have ended up with 30, but he would have been on that pace had he not suffered the thumb injury. Um, he's in this defensive role and he has embraced it completely. But on the road where you don't get the matchups quite as much, there might be an opportunity for him to provide a bit more offensively. And if he can step up, you know, he is just the guy that it, the whole team follows when, when he's on his game and plays his best. And I, I think trending from game four to game five, he's, he's in a position to do that. But you look up and down, like, the guys, I, we, we didn't spend any time talking about it just now, you and me, but I really think, Ben Sherratt deserves so much credit for the way yeah. he's played in these playoffs. Like Joel Edmondson too. Those two guys have been so huge for the Canadians, both in stature, but in their, like how they're so intimidating. I mean, they're, they're scary players. You don't want to get anywhere within their radius. Uh, they have made it extremely hard to compete against and they're not the best puck movers in the world, but they're old school defensemen who really make it hard to get to the middle of the ice Jay Weber is playing with two busted thumbs. He is an absolute animal and a warrior out there. There have just been so many guys that have stepped up, and Gallagher is right in that profile, right? Like, he's he's one of those guys that every single game, he puts everything on the line, every single shift, whether it's preseason or postseason. So, just bigger. You know, he's, he said when he was struggling in the Toronto series, I know I'm going to have to come through with a big goal eventually, and sure enough, he scores the biggest one in Game 7. It's I think the same pressure's on him now going into game five, and I get the feeling he'll probably rise to the occasion. So it's uh, – but that is the strength of this Canadian team, right? Like there's a different guy that's stepping up on a nightly basis, and whether it's Gallagher or Caulfield or Sherrod or Edmondson or whoever, you know, that's what the Canadians need to rely on to continue. How is it in this day and age, in this game – where everybody's run and gun that the Montreal Canadians can throw out a decor. That's got six, four, six, three, six, three, six, two, six foot. How is that possible with no guys who can really move the puck? I guess Gustafson would be their guy. Maybe Brett Kulik. How, how do they do it when they don't have a guy who can just rip around out there? Well, Petrie can. And I would suggest that Edmondson, although is not, not his best quality puck movement, his skating is very good for a guy his size. Weber moves much better than anyone has ever given him credit for. And Sherrod is an excellent skater. Like Sherrod is, people said, oh, you know, he's, he's pretty 
he skates decently for his size. No, no, he skates really well. But if you compare them to a Theodore oh yeah, or those guys, yeah, how do they do yeah. it when they don't have one of those guys? Only Petrie would, would be in that category. But yeah. outside of that, you know, it's you're looking at Petrangelo, Theodore, go through Hedman and Sergachev and, and it's just remarkable and what they've done. And, yeah, but but you also look at the four teams. There's big, nasty defensemen on all four of them, and that's you can't win without that now. And I think St. Louis was the template that everyone borrowed from, and Dallas certainly had it. Yeah. And the Canadians, you know, Petrie is that guy that you're talking about, and he he is their best defenseman. You know, you look up and down over the last few years, he has been the guy, especially with Weber injured a lot of the time. And the fact that they were missing him for, for a part of this series and are still in it at 2-2 uh, and have looked like the better team for at least half of it, it's he's a huge factor for them. And I think he's getting healthier and healthier given that situation with the dislocated fingers. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it is crazy though. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone would have looked at the, the, the composition of the blue line and said, okay, they're going to be hard to play against, but are they going to be lacking that one key element that is the new school game? And I think yeah. they were in the regular season and, and regular season is so different from the playoffs. So they were hurt there, but when the playoffs came around and prison rules came into effect, you know, those guys get the job done. What's your thoughts on that? Just, I know we're kind of, now we're getting a little long, but with the refereeing, there's been a huge, you know, it's been a huge topic, especially in this series. They just put the whistles away. All the big pundits, the hockey guys are like, if you're going to call it in the regular season, call it in the playoffs. What's your take on that? Because it's obviously gone against the Montreal Canadiens. What, what do you think that they should do as referees? Well, personally, I think it's been both ways. And second, I wish it was nice. just that they put the whistles away. I actually believe that the big issue is that they haven't just put the whistles away. They've kind of cherry-picked what they're going to call and what they're not. Nobody can predict what they're doing, the players least of all. And that's a huge problem. It's not – to me, To me, the, the officiating in games three and four was absolutely embarrassing. It was yeah. a complete embarrassment to the NHL. And – go back through Chris Lee's history. Like this guy has never gotten a playoff assignment this deep into the playoffs. And there's a reason for it. And I thought if everybody knew that he's one of the worst officials in the NHL, that the NHL of all people would know that too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it's such an embarrassment. And I think th- this is at a point where the league really has to look at its personnel and say, who can we circle on this list that always ends up as a part of the story? because they're not supposed to be a part of the story. Yep. I also think that we're at a point where they really need to review the entire system to begin with. I understand the value of having two officials on the ice, but to me, the reason why there was four to begin with, two linesmen and two officials, is because we had a lot of post-whistle scrums before. We had a lot more fights when you were playing the game, John. It's not there anymore. And right now, there's an official in the way of the play all over the ice, all throughout the game. And if they're not going to be blowing their whistles to make calls, get, get one of, the of them off the ice. That's get, a good idea. Give three of them the authority to call the lines and the penalties, figure out a system, revamp it completely. But to me, when you have Corey Perry take a slash to the face on a guy who's trying to play the puck and misses, on a, on a play like that, all four officials are centered on the puck. That's where the play is. If they all miss that and they all have the ability to call it, there's a problem with the system, but you could even look at that and say, okay, whatever. Suzuki getting punched in the face after an exchange and a scrum where for our entire lives, that's been a penalty in the preseason, postseason, regular season, whatever. 
and the official is staring right at it and just says, ah, I'm not going to call it like there's a problem. So I really think that these guys are in the way they're in the way all the time. And there has been no benefit to there being two officials on the ice. And if anything, it's caused somewhat of a confusion. Like it, it, one guy wants to call it one way or the other. They're not on the same page. They see the game differently and it leads to a lot more inconsistency than there should be. So they need to revamp. I don't know if what I'm suggesting is the best way to do it, but I think, I just think they're in the way. I, I just think they're in the way and they're not doing the job. So, and then this has been, look, it's been a decade. We've been talking about the standard of officiating in the playoffs. I do believe it's as simple as just call the penalties, like the blatant flagrant penalties that are right in front of you. I'm, I'm all good with letting guys battle in front of the net. I think that is an area where you have to earn your space. I'm all good with um, some physical back and forth in the corners between the guys. Um, but call the slashes, call the trips and call the boarding. Like when a guy like shit, when Edmondson cross checks Carrier into the, into, into the glass yeah. in the first period of the last game, or when Weber gets pasted by Thomas Nozick from behind, right in the numbers, you got to call that. You can't just say, ah, play on. Like it's, this is stupid. It's embarrassing. And it's, I think, I don't, how many people are out there saying something opposite than what I'm saying right now? No, it's, it's true. I think just to defend the refs, just a tad, they don't want to call a penalty that that's going to decide the game. And that I can see their reasoning, but you have to call a penalty when it's a penalty. So there, there has to be some kind of, you know, sweet spot that they're obviously not hitting. It's just what they're doing isn't working. So I'm sure the league's talking to him. Hopefully he kind of, I don't want to say tightens it up a little bit, but it's like you said, call the blatant stuff and then let the other stuff go because it is a playoffs. You got to kind of man up if you want to win in the playoffs. It is what it is. It's been like that forever. So yeah, let the front of the net, let the stuff in front of the net go. You know, yeah. like that's where you have to earn your ice and earn your opportunities. The one-on-one battles in the corner, if it gets pushing and shoving and a little cross check and a slash or whatever it is, let that go. That's not a problem. When you have a play on the puck that could result in a scoring chance and you're not calling it because, yeah. oh, you already gave a penalty to this team or whatever it is, when Suzuki gets punched in the face right in front of you and the Canadians are already on the power play and you choose to ignore it because you don't want to give them a five on three, you're not doing the game any justice or service. You're, you're screwing it up. So, and, and again, start looking at the officials who more often than not throughout the years and throughout the games their names are trending on Twitter. Like we shouldn't know who they are. Exactly. They should be part of the background. They should be secondary to the game. Yep. Totally agree, Eric. Well, let's leave it on that. Who do you got? Finally, Montreal or Vegas? Who's the winner? I'm not betting against Montreal. I think Vegas is a great team and they're going to be really hard to topple here. But if the Canadians can get the win in game five, I like their chances to advance the Stanley Cup final. There's been something special about this team since the start. Everyone has counted them out and bet against them. I would not bet against them given what they have in their room and what they've proven and the way they've played. And if they continue to stick to that template with Carey Price behind them, I, I can't bet against them. I will. And we'll just, uh, you know, you can't always agree, Eric. It is what it is. But anyways, thank you so much. Gloves with you, though. No, no, that's, that's, that's all. That life is gone. Well, thank you for coming on, my man. You're a true professional. If you want to get in touch with Eric, go to his Twitter. Anywhere else we can find you, Eric? Uh, Sportsnet.ca. Sportsnet.ca. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you, Eric, again for joining us. Cheers, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 